Well, good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Cabot. So glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, the the uh, name of our church, Life Spring Community Church, has community in the center of it for a reason, and, and that's because we want to be a church of the community. Uh, recently, we found out a, uh, a need here at the church that we'd like to um, make you aware of if you want to participate in and, and just uh, share a little bit of information. So I invite uh, Dave Higgs to come up here. He's going to share about a, a, a need that there is and, uh, and something that can be prayed over and, and uh, that, that we can help with. Um, so thanks for coming and sharing with us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to come and share. I thank you, Cabot, and the church elders um, asking me to speak. Uh, may all glory from this be to God. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting many of you over the last couple years. My wonderful family is Sean, Gavin, Jackson, and Gracie Higgs. Um, and we are blessed to be a part of Life Spring. Uh, the purpose of speaking today is regarding an outside-the-box opportunity. There was an email sent out about this, um, if you haven't had a chance to look at it. What some of you may or may not know, I'm a principal in a local community nearby, Round Lake, and this giving opportunity involves one of my students. Now, I have about 1,000 students, and so there's always many giving opportunities, but this one is unique. Um, it involves a student whose name is Jessica, and it's an opportunity kind of for us to shine our light as a church. I'd like to turn to scripture here really quick before we get started. <clears throat> if we go to Matthew 5, 14 through 16, in the scripture we are told, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, there was an email that was sent out regarding this, which best sums up this out-of-the-box opportunity. I'm gonna to try to sum up the summary of the email, not just read it all to you. Uh, Mariana Castro Telez, 48 of Round Lake Beach, was killed Friday morning, uh, May 17th, after a 20-year-old man entered her room and stabbed her with a knife. Lake County Coroner Dr. Howard Cooper said that the autopsy showed Castro Telez died from sharp force trauma. The man has since been arrested and charged with first-degree murder. However, this is where the story begins for us as we gospel, gather, and go. What is untold is that Mariana Castro Telez took care of her elderly parents and her 13-year-old daughter, Jessica. Jessica is a student in my school. Jessica's father died when she was eight, and now she does not have any parents. Her only brother is 19, has been recently incarcerated. Fortunately, Jessica has an aunt and uncle who are stepping up to care for her and elderly parents, but they also have two children of their own. Having two children of their own, caring for Jessica and caring for two elderly parents have left them strapped to cover expenses from such care as well as funeral expenses. The family started a GoFundMe page with a goal of $10,000. They are currently a third of the way to their goal. Uh, this can be found in the email too if you want to access it. We know in Job 29, 11, 12 it states, whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me com commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. We know that Job, despite his suffering, was able to shine the light of Jesus into a dark world this situation creates an opportunity for us to go and shine the light of Jesus into the dark world as well. 
If after prayer and reflection you are moved to go and assist the Telez family, there are two methods to give. First, there's the GoFundMe page. Second, one of the choices to give to this is today. The monthly caring fund collected during the service will go directly to the Telez family. If neither of these choices appeal to you but you'd still like to help, just come and talk to me about different opportunities that you may be thinking of. I'd be, I'd be glad to listen and pass those on. In closing, I would like to leave you with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon, who was a famous British pastor in the 1800s. Spurgeon stated, lamps do not talk, but they do shine. A lighthouse sounds no drum, it beats no gong, and yet far over the waters, its friendly spark is seen by the mariner. So let your action shine out your belief. Let the main sermon of your life be illustrated by your actions. Thank you, and God bless. I'd like to turn it over to Kevin now. Yeah. Um, well, let me, uh, let me pray for you and for the situation here. Um, and by the way, um, we normally have two offerings on the, on the beginning of the, the uh, month. Um, <clears throat> the first one is our normal offering. The second one is for needs in the congregation, the community. So today we're uh, only giving this second offering to this particular need. So if, you're, if you want to give towards it, that'll be where it'll go. Um, Dave, thank you for sharing. I'm really grateful for you and for your ministry there at the school. And, and uh, such a great example for, you know, we, we all have different spheres that we that we live in and uh, and we can shine the light of christ there well uh, please bow your heads with me lord god your name endures forever your reputation is known to every generation you are the one who gives justice and compassion to your people father we need your justice and compassion throughout the world. We pray that you'd bring justice and mercy to the nations of Europe and Asia and Africa and Australia and the Americas. Let the nations be glad and rejoice in your goodness. And in the words of Martin Luther King, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. God, we pray for this family and for all those affected by violence in Round Lake. We pray for Jessica, that you would provide a good living situation for her and for her aunt and for her uncle. Um, we pray for our nation, the United States of America, to seek you, to honor you, to follow you. Give us judges who will make right decisions, presidents, governors, assemblymen and women, mayors and councils who will rule justly with mercy, reflecting the character of their creator. We pray for our children and our children's children to live in a land where justice and mercy reign. But God, we know that your justice and mercy came together most perfectly in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, fulfilling your justice. And now we have hope of eternal life with you and your perfect kingdom that will never end. Spirit of God, we now pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive your word this morning. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this is the um, fifth Sunday of our series, Kings and Kingdoms, based on First and Second Kings. And the purpose of this series, and uh, I don't want us to miss this, is for us to gain a broad understanding of the historical books, some of the historical books in the Old Testament, to better inform our Christian faith. 
Uh, actually, the lessons that we can learn in First and Second Kings are foundational to our Christian faith and what we believe and what we do. Um, so this is an important topic, and today we're talking about good and bad kings. Now, in America, we don't have a king. We have the closest thing we have to a king is a president. And uh, we do have some presidents that we'd say are better than others. If I had to guess, I don't know, we could do a show of hands, but uh, I would guess that most of us can't remember all the names of the presidents of the United States. Anyone remember all the names? There's got to be somebody here. Well, <clears throat> here's a test. Who were these guys? Okay, up, up in the upper, your upper left here, uh, Lincoln. Okay, there's the low-hanging fruit. Now you're in trouble. <laughs> Anybody else? Nope, not Jackson. All right, you can, you can yell it out loud. If I hear it, I'll, I'll uh, repeat it. Hoover. Yeah, we got Hoover. Hoover's all the way over on the right. So we got the bookends there. Uh, nope, nope, not Adams. Uh, all right. Um, Buchanan and then Cal Coolidge. So those are the four presidents up there. Now, <clears throat> if you were going to rate them as presidents, who would you put at the top and who would you put at the bottom? And a lot of folks would put Lincoln at the top. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. 2017 survey polling 91 historians evaluated American presidents based on 10 qualities of presidential leadership, including economic management, international relations, crisis leadership, public persuasion skills, and whether they pursued justice and equality for all. And in this particular survey, Abraham Lincoln did, in fact, uh, reach the top of the survey, 1861 to 1865, uh, Lincoln was our president, and uh, it is his um, his rating, his high rating in this particular case, was due primarily to um, historians holding him in high esteem for crisis leadership. He led our country through one of the most trying periods of our history, and in 1863 signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the slaves. James Buchanan, on the other hand, who uh, was president from 1857 to 1861, whom nobody could identify up here, uh, received very low rankings for crisis leadership. He was the president leading up to the time of Lincoln who couldn't handle this tumultuous situation, which finally led to the Civil War. Now, there's another, uh, there's another survey, this is the Kiplinger survey, and it's based upon stock performance. So who were the best presidents based on stock performance? So you've only got two left. Who thinks that, that Hoover is the best for stock performance? A couple? A Coolidge? Anybody? A couple more for Coolidge? All right. Well, Cal Coolidge was the winner here. So, um, Cal Coolidge, who was our president from 1923 to 29. Now, there are a couple reasons why Coolidge was the top president for uh, market performance for economy, which is, by the way, uh, the way a lot of people vote in this country is who they think will do the best economically for this country. Um, he presided over the, the roaring 20s. He was the president during that time. He believed in small government, and so he tried to keep things small. He, and his famous quote is, the, the business of America is business. So that was, that was it. Yeah. 
So, in contrast, we have Herbert Hoover, who was the unlucky man, says someone has to be in last place. That particular shame belongs to Herbert Hoover, who occupies the bottom rung. Now, Coolidge um, had a boom of 266% uh, increase. Hoover had 77.1% cumulative loss. So picture that, the worth of our economy went down to a quarter of what it was worth before during the Great Depression. Uh, Hoover took uh, office months before the 1929 crash, that's rotten luck, but don't feel too sorry for Hoover. He played his part in bringing about the whole mess. Over a thousand economists signed a letter warning him not to sign the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act into law, but he did it anyway. This was what turned what might have been a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. So if I were to ask you to rate our presidents, if you looked at the whole list uh, from best to worst, um, would you come up with the same results as either one of these surveys? Is that uh, something that, that you agree with? I and mean, there's, there's some names that weren't mentioned here. We've got George Washington, we've got Adams, we've got you know, some, some important names in American presidents. And how do we determine who who gets the top and who gets the bottom? And the reason why different groups um, will rate uh, differently is because they're using different criteria. Now, in this first one, they use the historians. The second one, they use the economy. And whatever criteria we use is how we determine whether someone's a good president or a bad president. Well, in First and Second Kings, we continually see kings being assessed on whether they're a good king and a bad king. Is this king good or is this king bad? And how do we know? And so uh, according to scripture, the criterion on whether a king is good or bad is not whether the kingdom is economically prosperous, has a large or small government, whether he has the right to make uh, the right makeup artist or speech writer or has enough sense not to tweet whatever's on his mind. Um, the criterion on whether a king is good or bad according to scripture, is whether that leader follows the one true God or um, leads the nation in idolatry. So is, is the leader, is the king leading the nation in faithfulness or, uh, or idolatry? Those are the two things. So a good king is a faithful king who follows the Lord. A, a bad king is an idolatrous king who follows other gods. That's the criterion that we're using for the book of Kings. Now, in assessing good and bad kings, it'll be helpful to remember some lessons we've already learned in these past few Sundays. So I'm gonna do a quick memory quiz for us because this is uh, important for us. Um, who was the prototype and standard for all the other kings in First and Second Kings? Anybody? Shout it out if you know it. Don't be shy. David. Yeah, King David. Okay, second. Um, and and, and why, was he, why was he the prototype? It had something to do with his heart, yeah. And the fact that he would quickly repent. I mean, he'd, he'd made some colossal mistakes, but he said he was sorry to God. He repented. Um, and then, secondly, um, why did the kingdom split? Who did it split under, and why did it split? So the nation was all unified under David, all unified under, under Solomon. Why did it split? What's that? It split under Rehoboam. That was uh, one of the names. But why did it split? 
Well, Solomon had too many wives, and his wives led him into idolatry, and this idolatry um, festered like gangrene in the nation. And so, um, actually, Solomon's divided heart resulted in a divided kingdom. You can remember that. Solomon's divided heart resulted in a divided kingdom. And it was the gift that kept on giving. And then um, the names of the divided kingdom, the two kingdoms after they split were Israel and Judah. Excellent. All right, good. Uh, how many good kings uh, were there and where? So I'll, let's just start here. Wh uh, which nation had no good kings? Israel had no good kings. How many good kings did Judah have? I hear some timid eights. Okay, eight. Eight's the number. Eight good kings. All right, good. And then uh, we always have to have a bonus question, so this is the last question. Um, key passage in Kings that connects King David to Jesus. Second hmm? Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven. That is a really, really good passage for you to read. It is the house, um, the house of David. Did I miss something? Um, the house of David, uh, he, he, David wanted to establish God's house. He wanted to build the, the temple for him. And God said, I'm going to establish your house. And this house gets fulfilled in Christ. And so the trajectory of kings is the foundation based upon David that points to Jesus Christ, the son of David. And that's why uh, when we go to Palm Sunday and, and the people are all shouting, you know, um, son of David, son of David. They're identifying Jesus as son of David. He stands on the foundation of David. In fact, the entire trajectory of kings points to Christ. All right. So that's the, uh, that is the important background that we need to be standing on. And then if we look at this next slide here, um, we have a, um, a little bit of a diagram. And I think uh, if you look on the left-hand side, you'll see Saul, David, and Solomon. Those were the kings under the United Kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon. The kingdom split under Solomon. Remember, Solomon had a, a divided heart that resulted in a divided kingdom. And so one way went to Judah, and the other way went to Israel. And Israel had all bad kings. So who's speaking truth into Israel with all bad kings? It was the prophets. The prophets were speaking truth into Israel. And that's why if you read First and Second Kings, you'll see many more episodes of the prophets speaking to, to Israel than Judah because there really were no good kings in Israel. And then in Judah, we had eight good kings, 12 bad ki uh, kings, and everything ends in exile for both nations. What a great um, outline for the book of Kings. All right, so um, in Judah, uh, so Israel, we're just going to move on because there's no good and bad kings, and uh, there's bad kings, only bad kings in Israel, and Judah, there's good and bad kings. So we're going to focus on the nation of Judah, which is the kingdom of David. That's where everything's going to go. We'll talk about Israel next week. But in Judah, um, I have another question for you here. Um, I'm going to drive you all crazy. Do you remember any of the names? of the first kings of Judah. And one of them was already mentioned here. So it's after Solomon. 
Okay, really, really loud. Rehoboam, that was one. Guillermo? Oh, Jeroboam. Yeah, Jeroboam was Israel. Um, what else? Anybody else? Jeho, 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 Shabbat. All right. Well, I'm, in, I'm just going to give you the list here. Um, I was pretty sure you wouldn't get a whole lot of them anyway. You know, the point here is not for us to remember all these kings. Uh, what we're going to look for is patterns here. Patterns and kings and kingdoms that create principles that we can use and remember and incorporate into our lives. So don't worry, there's no, I won't be quizzing you on any of these anymore. You can just like wipe the sweat off your brow, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, so we had Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, and he was a numbskull. He, he absolutely, you know, he could have just um, given the people what they wanted and said, hey, I'm going to lighten the yoke on you and, uh, and we'll just keep this kingdom thing going. But instead, he, he um, basically threatened the people and he said, I'm going to be really rough on you. And so the nation of Israel uh, split and they, they went under Jeroboam and Rehoboam was left with the leftovers. So Rehoboam just had the tribe of Judah. And then... Um, Rehoboam reigned for 17 years. He was not a good king. And then he had a son named Abijah, who was also a bad king, who only reigned for three years. And then we have good king Asa, who turns the tide. So this is how it was when Asa became king. There had been Solomon, who was the wisest king ever. And then he fell into idolatry, and he created a mess. And his son Rehoboam walked in his footsteps of his latter years, and so did the next king, um, Abijah. And then Asa, when he inherited the kingdom, 15 years before, the, the nation had been ransacked by the king of Egypt, and then they had continual conflict with Israel. The nation was divided, and spiritually was in a terrible place. So King Asa actually inherited a huge mess. And then um, in northern Israel, people worshiped golden calves along with other deities. In Judah, Asa's own mother was worshiping the goddess Asherah. So what should the good king do in this sort of a mess? Well, 1 Kings 15, 9 through 14, Asa began his reign over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. This is a high commendation. Very few kings got this. He put away the male cult prostitutes in the land. Oh, by the way, uh, removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Maaka, his mother, for being the queen mother because she had made an abominable image of Asherah. He got rid of the queen mother, his own relative. And then Asa cut down her image and burned it in the brook Kidron, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. So Asa was a good king, and Asa gave generously to the Lord's temple. Second Chronicles 14.4 tells us Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, uh, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. So he was, he was one of the best kings. He pointed him back to the law, pointed him back to scripture. He was generous with his money. Um, he went in the face. Can you imagine the whole culture of the nation is going one particular direction, and all of a sudden Asa said, no, we're not doing that anymore. It takes a very courageous type of person 
in order to do that. And so that's what, uh, what happened with, with Asa. And then he had his son Jehoshaphat. So let's just take a minute and take a look at what Asa did well. So remember, we're, we're not, we're not going to probably remember Asa's name. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But we're going to remember what Asa did. That's what we want to remember from today. So uh, if we'll go to that next slide here. Oh, I'm sorry. Turn back. I'm giving the answers ahead of time here. Um, anyway, um, good things that Asa did. He rid the nation of... Idolatry. Sorry, I'm, I'm making everybody wake up this morning here. Um, he, he rid the nation of idolatry. Uh, what did he encourage the people to do? To be faithful to the Lord. He encouraged them to be faithful to the Lord. Um, and um, what else did he do? Asa's son was Jehoshaphat, who was a good king. So what did Asa do? He, he passed on godly leadership to the next generation. And then um, he was courageous in the face of adversity. So we'll, we'll just show that slide there. That there's the answer sheet here. Uh, rid the nation of idolatry, encouraged faithfulness to the Lord, passed leadership to a godly son, courageous in the face of adversity. There's an interesting word, courage. It's a Christian word. It's something that we're supposed to be as Christians. In the face of things that are very difficult, we'll do what's right anyway because we're acting with courage. And so here is a, a favorite Asa quote. This is Asa in the face of um, one of the difficult military encounters uh, from 2 Chronicles 14:11. O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let man not prevail against you. So, fantastic Asa quote. He's trusting in God in the midst of his darkest hour. And then Asa's son Jehoshaphat uh, came on the scene. Uh, building on his father's work, he not only continued to um, rid the nation of idolatry, but he sent representatives to teach the people the word of the Lord. Some people say, well, the, the uh, word of the Lord wasn't available to the people. Well, actually, Jehoshaphat sent people out with it to teach them in their villages or wherever they were uh, the word of the Lord. And, uh, and that's in um, 2 Chronicles 17, 7 through 9. And then um, Jehoshaphat set up a justice system for the people. Uh, so like his father, Jehoshaphat trusted God when he was overwhelmed by his enemies. Uh, and this is my favorite Jehoshaphat quote. This is, um, this is actually what he said to the uh, judges uh, as he appointed them. He said, uh, deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. And that was in 2 Chronicles 19 through 11. And then in 2 Chronicles 17, 6, this is the description of Jehoshaphat himself. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. So now if we compare uh, Jehoshaphat to Asa, um, let's go through the list. Did he um, rid the nation of idolatry? Yeah. Uh, did he encourage people to be faithful to the Lord? Yeah. Uh, did he pass leadership onto a godly son? No, he didn't. Um, did he, uh, was he courageous in the face of adversity? Yeah, he was courageous in the face of adversity. And so um, 
we look at Jehoshaphat, he, was, he had some of the highest commendations as well. He was one of the best kings of Judah. And yet something got messed up with the next generation. We've got to take a peek at that. And that's, that's where, our, um, where our passage was today. You see, um, there had been military conflict between Israel and Judah the whole time, uh, up until Jehoshaphat. And that had taken its toll on Judah. And so Jehoshaphat thought that he had a solution. And what he did is he made friends with King Ahab. That's not a good idea. King Ahab was uh, one of the worst kings of Israel, very idolatrous. And King Ahab's wife was Jezebel, who was the evilest woman in the Bible. She was terrible. And so Queen, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had a darling little daughter named Athaliah, who became married to Jehoshaphat's son. And so together, um, this evil entered in with Athaliah and Jehoram. And when we look at the um, at scripture, it says, well, actually, Jehoram was a terrible king because he had married the daughter of Ahab. And then um, the, their son, Ahaziah, was no better because he was being tutored by his mom, Athaliah. And so what we see here is an unholy alliance that had taken place. This is not only a marriage, but it's alliance between the two kingdoms, and it affected Judah terribly. And it's the same mistake Solomon had made during his reign when he started bringing foreign princesses in and, and making these, these pacts and covenants and then building shrines to their gods. And so things were going from really good, like decades and decades of good leadership got just thrown down the tubes because of this unholy alliance between the two. Jehoshaphat, no doubt, tried to pass on his values to his son, but his son was um, persuaded by his wife, and um, it just ended up going a really bad direction. So as the story goes, and this is the scripture that was read this morning, um, We have, uh, we have Athaliah, who was married to Jehoram. He um, ends up uh, being stepping down as king. And then the son dies only a year into his reign. And then Athaliah looks around and she says, you know, if I kill all my grandchildren, all my grandsons, then I can become top dog here in Judah. And that's exactly what she does. She went through and she killed uh, anyone that was in between her and ruling Judah. And during that time, um, there were no doubt people that were pretty upset about the situation, but she was in control, she was evil, she knew how to, how to run an evil empire, she'd seen her dad do it. And so um, that, that was Athaliah, the, the evil queen mother of, of Judah. But in the meantime, we have um, uh, Jehoshebeth, Jehoshebeth, I have to say that seven times to get it down, um, who was her daughter, uh, daughter of uh, Jehoram and, and uh, Athaliah. And she hid one of the grandchildren from, uh, instead of being killed, this grandchild was 
um, secretly hidden away in a room, and it was a pact between her and Jehoiada, the priest of the temple. So they kept this one grandson safe. He was one year old when all this stuff went down. And then they waited for six more years until he was seven years old, and the new king was Joash. And so Jehoiada, the priest, um, at great risk to himself, uh, got together the, temp- the guards of the temple and the palace, and, uh, and he said, who's with me? And put him under oath and, uh, and made this new king, Joash, king. Athaliah comes out and she yells, treason! And it's, I mean, there's kind of irony there. Um, but Athaliah got put to death and Joash is now king. Joash had Jehoiada as a mentor and so the idolatry stopped all the, all the bad things stopped for the first part of his reign until Jehoiada died, and then Joash wasn't so great after that. But here's the deal. Before we, uh, we were looking at themes of what the kings did right, now let's take a look at Jehoshabeth, who was not a king, but she was a daughter of a king, and Jehoiada, who was not a king, but a priest. What did they do? And if we look at the list, um, Let's just move that forward. There we go. Uh, They rid the nation of idolatry. They encouraged faithfulness to the Lord. They passed on leadership to Joash instead of this wicked queen mother, and they acted courageous in the face of adversity. Again, we we see these same four elements again and again and again in the book of Kings. Now, I don't know... um, if anybody here has memorized the names of the kings, but I would suspect probably not, of Israel and Judah. And even if you memorize them, I'm not sure that you'll remember them. But I think we can remember these things. I think that we can remember um, the difference between faithfulness and idolatry. That's the mark of a good king. Is that king faithful or is that king idolatrous? Uh, We can remember about passing on leadership. And that doesn't always work so well. Uh, There are godly men and women who've tried to pass on leadership and it hasn't worked out. And, um, but we should when we can. And then courage. Have you ever struggled with that one? In the face of adversity, in a culture that is not for the Lord, having to be courageous and do what's right, even so. Well, if we, if we remember I said we're standing on the foundation of King David, and this foundation points to King Jesus. If we take all of these and we look at these as they relate to King Jesus, let's, let's take a look at Jesus's life. So um, if we have good King Jesus, uh, how is Jesus towards idolatry? Anybody remember his first message? Repent. Turn away from whatever is not God. Turn away from serving whatever is not God and turn to the true God. Be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. How about Jesus in passing on leadership? Well, he passed on leadership to some of the most unlikely people ever. And, uh, and these disciples did, just didn't seem like the ones that, uh, that leadership should be passed on to. And yet, God used them. And now the message of Christ is throughout the world. And then how about courage in the face of adversity? How much courage does it take to go to the cross? Now, I think if we, if we look at what Jesus did and then what we're asked to do as we follow him, there's two different ways we can look at this. One is at the national level. 
and the other one is at the personal level. If we're thinking about this at the national level, you know, we, live, we don't live where there are kings. We live in a democracy where there are presidents and, and other officials that we have an opportunity to vote for. <clears throat> but there are also other leaders that we have influence in selecting in various institutions. What would it look like if we were concerned about idolatry and faithfulness of those individuals? If we're concerned about the character of who we elect? If we're concerned about not only um, what they say they're going to do, but what we've seen evidence for in their own lives. Um, if, we're cons if they're people of courage in the face of adversity to take us the right direction, if they're, if they're people that uh, are going to uh, pass on good leadership, if they're going to uh, help us to help others. Now, this isn't always, uh, we can think of presidential election, but we can think of governors, we can think of mayors, but we can also think of, of other areas that we're in. Uh, we might have influence in the school board. We might have influence in uh, local institutions. I think we as Christians should help to get godly leaders in the position they should be in because the leaders make a huge difference in the direction we go as a nation. And then at the personal level, if we think of it in that way, what are the idols in my life? What's in me, what am I serving that's not God? And there's the question. What am I serving that's not God? What am I spending my time doing? What am I spending my money on? All those sorts of things that's not God. And it's not that we can't do other things. We don't have to, you know... Um, be chained to it, but we should get our greatest joy out of being faithful to the Lord. And there may be idols in our lives that we need to identify and cut down the Asherah pole, destroy those shrines, get them out of our lives. We may need to be as ruthless as the, as the good kings were in the nation of Judah. And then in regarding to faithfulness to the Lord, what do we need to do in order to encourage our own faithfulness? And what, who do we need to hang out with? Remember the unholy alliances that, that uh, really brought ruin to Judah. Who do we need to hang out with in order to strengthen our own faith? And then passing leadership on, you know, we, we don't always, um, we're not always able to do that. Um, and it's, Scripture doesn't say anything negative about, about Jehoshaphat for what he did. It was clearly not a good idea for him to become aligned with the house of Ahab. That was a seed that he planted that bore terrible fruit. But we're all going to plant seeds that we regret later. Uh, so we don't want to, you know, just live in a place of guilt. On the other hand, in any way that we can, pass on good and godly leadership to the next generation, speak truth into every situation we should. And then finally, it's this courage word. What would it take for me, for you, to be courageous in a culture that doesn't love God. Will we do it? Well, that's good kings and bad kings. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to uh, share communion. Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you that there were some good kings, examples for us to follow. God, help us to put some boots on this message. Pray, Lord, that you would help us rid this nation of idolatry, that, the, that our country would turn to the Lord, they would turn to you, that you'd give us godly leadership and generations of godly leadership, that you'd help us as Christians to be courageous in our nation, and that you would help us also to get rid of personal idolatry, things that are in between us and you, so that we can love you more deeply, have a relationship with you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.